So hello everybody and welcome back again to the Heart Shaped Decisions podcast and that's sort of making an assumption that you've listened to it before so if you are listening to the Heart Shaped Decisions podcast for the very first time welcome and uh, thank you for being with us to everyone and um, today I have a very special guest who's a lady called Kay Reeve who I've been in contact with for quite some time uh, we both used to be members of Toastmasters and learned to, learned to speak there and um, Kay has also done a TEDx talk, which I haven't done, so I'm, I'm very interested to, to know a bit more about that. Um, and uh, so, Kay, thank you very much for being with us today on the Heart Shaped Decisions podcast. And would you like to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and um, what you do and, you know, what your passion is, please? Yeah, nice to meet you, Graham. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yes, yeah, so what I do is, uh, well, firstly, I'm an author, so I've recently written a book, and it's all off the back of being a parent and struggles I had with my son with uh, being diagnosed with the autistic spectrum. But then the main part of this was about him suffering teenage depression, stress, anxiety, and, and suicidal tendencies. And that mm-hmm. led to me uh, coming up with a strategy to support him. And that's when I started learning the public speaking skills, which is when we connected. And mm-hmm. also it was the background why I did the TEDx talk and wrote the book. And uh, so this strategy is what's led me to becoming what I now call an emotional awareness expert. So okay. that's my, my focus was on understanding emotions at a level where I could teach them to a teenager who's suffering yeah. with stress, anxiety and depression so they could learn to understand themselves. Wow, yeah. So tell us a bit more about the story of your son. Um, yeah, he he was uh, diagnosed with Asperger's when he was eight years old. Uh, uh-huh. we, we discovered we thought he might have it when he was seven. But I'd known pretty much since he was born that he was a little bit different. He was like a few weeks old. Yeah. Um, when, when I just thought he just didn't connect the same. I didn't bond with him the same. He wouldn't make mm. eye contact. And uh, he was only 10 weeks old. The first time I said to my mum, it's almost as if he's autistic. But I had no idea how close I was with that statement. And so he was diagnosed when he was eight. Mm. Um, But it was also when he was eight years old. uh, Around the same time, he came out of school one evening. Uh, He'd had a lot of bullying at school. He didn't fit in very well. I'd already been having to go and get him out of school regularly for meltdowns and I was mm-hmm. having to take him home every lunchtime because he couldn't cope with being in the playground environment he was okay-ish in the class but yeah. not in the playground and he came out of school one night handed me his book bag and he just ran straight for a car and because I just thought he wasn't paying attention I'd luckily just caught the back of his coat in time and stopped him and he just missed the car as it screeched in front of him Mm. and you know you expect him to sort of have a bit of a meltdown because it when when they're on the autistic spectrum and their mind's focused in one direction and then they get interrupted that's when the meltdowns happen or somebody says oh you got to stop that got to come and do this or you know that's it's when you interrupt their their train of thought that they have that meltdown so I was expecting a meltdown I've just stopped him from running but what he yeah. didn't expect was for him to turn to me and literally scream at me. Why did you stop me? Why didn't you let me die? I don't want to live anymore. And he literally screaming at me in front of oh, all wow. the other parents. And he just kept screaming at me all the way home. I literally had to bundle him in the car and he just kept yelling and screaming at me. And he was then suicidal 
talking about wanting to die mm. every single day for the next year. And, you know, when I told the teacher that he'd been suicidal, she said, oh, kids say funny things, completely wow. dismissed it which didn't make me feel like he was safe in school. He yeah. didn't feel safe in school anyway, which is why mm. he was already like it. Um, and uh, we'd been to the doctors, we'd seen counsellors with him, or therapists. Um, he was having occupational therapy at the time. Um, she was the one lady that was very, very helpful for him. Mm. It did help him a lot, but it wasn't helping him while he was in school. Yeah. Um, it, 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 whatever was going on in school was, was really 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 disrupting his life um so I ended up by a year later we we just weren't getting anywhere we weren't winning we couldn't get him support and assessments for school for for support um we were just being told oh there's people with worse problems than him which doesn't help him might help other people but it doesn't help him um, how, how, can, how can you have a worse problem than being suicidal at that I age? know but that's what we were being told by the teachers was people with wow. worse problems than Matthew and we, you know he doesn't need support and even the LEA, Learning Education Authority, whatever it is at the time, mm. you know, we'd put in a, uh, all the applications to get him assessed and I'd had support filling out the forms. And they responded to say that they didn't think he even needed an assessment. And uh, mm. we were hitting ahead on a brick wall by this point. Mm. Um, uh, we, we, we'd had a lot of disagreements with the school as well at this point, not just the teacher, but head teachers as well. And um, anyway, it just got to a point it was so bad, we ended up taking him out of school, deregistered him and home educated him. And at least he stopped talking about committing suicide then for a while. Yeah. Certainly for a few years. Um, but then in his teenage years, it all kicked in again. Right. And he went downhill very deeply. Um, sort of from about the age of 13 to 15, he started to show signs of it again. Mm. Um, from 15 to 19, he just got worse and worse. Wow. And then we had the sort of whole trouble again of trying to get him to go and get support. And again, at that age, when, when they're a 15-year-old, you can't force them to get support. No. It has to be their own free will. Mm. And it took me months to get him to agree to go and see a psychologist. And he finally sat in front of this psychologist on a day when he felt better. And he just said, no, there's nothing wrong with me. Mum's making it all up. And she would not listen to me. This psychologist completely refused to have a conversation with me to talk to me, to listen to me. And she only spent about 10, 15 minutes talking to Matthew. First time she'd ever met him and he sat there making out, nothing's absolutely wrong and I'm making it all up. So she literally dismissed him off the books and we could not get any more support. Oh my goodness. So that then leaves yeah. me for the next five years dealing once again with his anger and his depression and suicidal tendencies. Mm -hmm. and sometimes having to spend two three hours at a time talking him out of those pits of depression and sometimes several times a week and it's it was like trying to rescue somebody who's drowning yeah and every time you just start to get them onto safe ground they turn around and jump in again <laughs> i like try repeating that for five years without support without backup services it was very very difficult very stressful and uh, that's where in the end, I was just so desperate for some way to, to save his life. He, he, he was reaching the point where he, he just couldn't even con connect with life anymore. He couldn't even tell well. me what day of the week it was. He, he was like really, really a shadow of what my, who my son was. And I really thought I was losing him as a person. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult. And this was where uh, all of a sudden, 
it just occurred to me to start using something that had been going through my head for years is ever since he was about four or five years old in my head I'd always seen his moods as colours but I'd yeah. never I'd never done anything with it I'd never thought any more of it other than I'd look at him and say oh he's in a red mood or a blue mood or a black mood today you know I'd, I'd use these different colours in my head on orange mood <clears throat> but I never interpreted it or thought about it or used it in any other way than right. somehow my head would see him in a mood and associate it with a colour. And I just ignored it all these years since he was little. Yeah. And we were literally sat there this day in the car with him and I was on the point of admitting him for psychiatric help, like literally driving him to mm. the hospital, the local unit. And... I had the phone in my hand and the number up ready to call them. And he finally agreed to go in, have a cup of coffee and have one last conversation um, about, let's see if we can work this through. You know, he agreed yeah. to sit down and talk a bit more. Mm. And this was when suddenly I said, let's talk about your emotions in terms of colour. And it was the first time I'd ever done it, talked about it with him. Yeah. So we talked about, happy sad angry and depressed and i picked those as the four like the, the key colors that i'd seen we set them as his four core emotions right i said that yeah there are thousands of thoughts feelings emotions you can have but whatever you have these are the, the main things you feel without adding words to them yeah so if you don't actually add a word these are the things you will feel in your body yeah happy sad angry and depressed mm. The rest of it is all subtle words to describe the, the depth of each of them. So <clears throat> anyway, we, we sat down and talked individually about each colour, what it meant to him, what words he might use, mm -hmm. you know, whether there might be like, like feeling sad about something might just be a little bit sad about one thing or very sad about something else, what words he might use for the difference. And it yeah. was about working it around his language, his vocabulary, his, his little world. And it made such a difference to him in terms of just starting to understand and be aware of his emotions yeah. against these colours that he started to change quite quickly. I mean, it was like it gave him hope that day, first of all. That first conversation, we just talked about those four colours. The next time I went back and sat down and spoke with him, because I was saying going back at the time, just to make this clear, he wasn't actually living in the house with us because his depression and his anger had got so bad. Mm. that he was in clashing with his father as well and right. I was struggling to be in the middle and then trying to protect my daughter who lived with us as well wow. and so we actually ended up the one place I don't want to recommend parents being because I'd run out of hope and options we'd put him in a hostel um, and yeah. I'd actually thrown him out the house and he was now living in a hostel but it gave me the space to now work with him not fight be fighting against him indoors it gave yeah. us the space to work things out because mm. he used to because he, he said to me one day he said, my problems are in this house and they're staying in this house i'm not taking my problems outside this house and that's what made me realize he wouldn't deal with things because he saw home as a safe space to hide yeah. and that that literally triggered something in me that day and i threw him out and it was not intentional um i hadn't planned it but it was like it gave me the answer if he's going to deal with it, he's got to be outside the house. So while he was then in the hostel, it gave us that space to work with him. Mm. Ideally, I would recommend parents, please get the book and sort things and work things through before they get that far. Um, 
but for us we were we were in desperate times and so yes yeah, so I used to go regularly to the hostel to visit him and spend time with him um talking through it so second conversation we had we talked about so if you've got four core emotions and yeah. your emotions change like mm-hmm. you wake up in the morning you're happy and then that well later you're sad or you're angry depressed what mm-hmm. else changed because i said the only way you change between emotions is because something changed yeah what was it and that's the conversation we then have and it gave me so as much as building this strategy was to help him it gave me the tools to approach the conversation in the right way to help him understand himself every time yeah and then quite quickly within a few weeks it's like two or three hours of talking about a depression went down to it might have taken an hour right and then about two or three months down the line he phoned me up one day while I was at work and he says mum he said I had another depression today he said but I talked myself out of it in 10 minutes that's amazing phew that was just like wow wow that was such a relief for me to hear that but to literally in a few months make that much progress yeah do you know what this this reminds me of and I've never thought about this before when we've spoken before Kay but um when I was uh when I was in my uh where was I about um 2006 my step-grandson came to live with me at the age of uh, just coming up to 14. Okay. And looking back on that whole episode now, I dealt with it in the best way that I could um, because I didn't know about all this stuff then. You know, we didn't know that we didn't know as much then as we do now about neuro, neurodiversity. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, I think my step-grandson, who I'm still in contact with occasionally, and he's actually... He'll actually be 30 um, this month, his 30th birthday this month. Still, he still hasn't really got the help that he needs. And I'm wondering whether I could um, point him in the... I might send him my copy of your book to help him. Lovely idea, yeah. That might help him. Yeah, yeah, no, that may well do. Or even just have, you know, have a conversation with him first. And it was quite interesting, actually, because I had my grandson in the car the other day. And I said to him about feelings and thoughts and mm. um, and I said to him, what feelings do you have? He said, oh, I get happy and I get sad and I get proud. He said, he said proud. Well, that's nice. So I said, what about angry? Do you ever get angry? Yeah, I get angry. <laughs> How so old is he? And he's six. <laughs> well, yeah, I think they get, I mean, yeah, but it's nice to actually know that he, he knows about feelings because that's what, yeah. you know, that's what heart-shaped decisions is all about yeah. for me. So I, yeah. I, do, I do things based on how I feel, and yeah. I think I think I think we all do to a certain extent without even without realising it. I mean, I think yeah. So, some people have you know because somebody said to me, yeah, but surely Graham, you know, um, the thought comes first, and then the feeling, and then the action. And I said, well, for me, it's not like that, you know. And that might be that might work for you for this person I was talking to about a year or so yeah. ago. And I said, but then I realised, well, perhaps I'm different. And then I, of course, and then I realised that there are, yeah, there are people who the thought comes first, and then the feeling, and then the action. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps the feeling. Work both ways, yeah. But our minds work, and our minds and our our bodies, and you know, we work in different ways. We're all we're all slightly different. I mean, the great thing about the human race is that we are all unique. Yeah. 
yeah, but we absolutely. All have, we have commonalities. We have things in common as well. Yeah. But we are, yeah, we all are. Mm. We're all a unique concoction of things, aren't we? Yeah. And when you say about commonality, that is the thing that this strategy is built around. It's mm. a commonality of every human being on the planet. <laughs> In fact, every living creature on the planet, but let's start with every human being. Yeah. Was as as I started to help my son and I talked to him in terms of the colours I'd seen, I recognised that actually the colours I was seeing are the colours that the whole human race uses in their language already, no matter what language they speak, they use these colours to describe these emotions. So for example, happy, we class as yellow. Yeah. As we talk about Oh, you know, you're glowing today, like the sun's shining and top of the world. Yes, and that's a great colour for happy, happy yellow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The whole world associates yellow as happy. Mm. And and I don't think it's even a conscious thing, but it's it's like where there are strategies for different things around the world, and different people might apply different colours for the same strategy, yeah. and jumble it around like for copyright purposes. When it comes to emotions. And it's actually marketing uses it all the time. If somebody wants to sell something that's a happy product, it will have yellow in the packaging or on the cover or book or whatever. Yeah. But if it's something like a horror movie, which is about depression and horror, you know, anger and like it's going to be black and red. Mm. But if it's going to be a thriller, it's going to be more like black and blue. Like it's more about yes. the thoughts rather than the actions. Mm -hmm. So it's like blue is all about thoughts and feelings. But that's on my diagram, the way I've put it is that we've got all the blue, red, yellow, and then the black. Mm. But the yellow is at the top of the diagram because that is the high emotion. So imagine putting an X through a letter, through a circle. So draw a circle. So for anybody who's listening, because I've got to be careful, I obviously can't just hold it up when you're on audio. So imagine drawing a circle, putting a, an X through it. The yeah. top quarter, colour it yellow. That's happiness. It's the top. Top yeah. of the world, high emotions. And we say, I mean, let's say for the wrong reasons, people get high because that's their shortcut. But that's mm. that's the addictive state of high. Um, yeah. But most people would like to be there naturally through happiness. And that also represents sort of the chemical quadrant of dopamine, oxytocin. And the body's chemistry is we, we are driven to seek happiness. Yeah. It's not it's not potluck to find it. We are driven for it. Um. But to be stuck there as well is also not where we want to be because that's being like a drug addict or something being stuck up yeah. there. Mm. Um, so then you've got your depression, which is at the bottom, which is your black. So we talk about being in a pits, stuck in a rock bottom, living mm. in darkness. Yeah. Um, and depression is associated with that darkness. And so that's the black bit on the bottom of the X. Yeah, <clears throat> and then the red and the blue are on the left and right <clears throat> but the only way people tend to go between happiness at the top and depression at the bottom is because they've been <clears throat> oh excuse me sorry <clears throat> uh, they've either been dragged down through something that's made them angry or something that's made them sad right you tend not to go directly from being happy to being depressed no. unless there's some other mental health issue mm. Um, it could be so, some people have like a neurological issue where they might go directly from one to the other um, and I think that, that affects people more like bipolar Yes, but, yeah. but I can't comment on why they suddenly go from being perfectly happy to being 
sort of suicidally depressed or whatever mm. and back again there but there is something more neurological or, or chemical imbalance in a different yeah, way yeah. um like extreme chemical reaction but it's but for the average you know for most people to go from happy to depressed something either makes you sad or something makes you angry and it overwhelms you to a point you then lose that happiness you lose the oxytocin and the dopamine and the serotonin and therefore, if you haven't got all the happy chemicals in your body, because it's all chemical based, mm. if you haven't got that emotion in your life and you're not purposely doing things to bring back those feelings and happiness and you're not creating a, a balance in life, yeah, then, yeah, you're going to be left with the, the cortisol and the adrenaline and just, just be completely overwhelmed. So it's all about understanding, firstly, for a teenager who's sort of stuck in either sadness or anger or whatever they're going through or depression understanding where they are what yeah. changes happen to put them there and what changes can take them back right and and so it was talking to my son about these changes when I realized that actually there's inner change and there's outer change so either things change in what we think feel and believe and that can change how we feel about something by changing how you you think yeah um for example if we've lost somebody and we're grieving um, that's a change in somebody's life they've lost somebody Ch you can't change and bring that person back so all you can do is change how you feel about them yeah. so instead of feeling grief about losing them you can learn to accept and appreciate the fond memories the time you had with them and it's not an overnight thing but to no. understand the process can sometimes make the process of healing a little bit faster for somebody yeah. to be able to, to work through their own emotions and not get lost and stuck in that depression. Mm -hmm. Whereas without that knowledge, sometimes they can. Um, and then there's the outer change. So the outer change in that situation is losing somebody, but the inner change is changing how they feel about losing that person. Yeah. Whether, whether they're like sad, like, Oh, you've gone off, you've left me, you know, and I'm stuck here or angry that why they've mm. gone or, you know, cause people go through both sadness and anger at losing people but then there's all the other little things in life so much enough and that the world is full of infinite changes oh absolutely. absolutely yeah and and so i started to chunk that down and i realized and um, this is after i'd done the tedx talk bit i started to realize actually there's only five changes in the whole world we can face because where we say right there's a world of infinite problems yeah um my background has been in administration, so I'm good at organising and filing and categorising. Right. <laughs> so I started to look at uh, things in terms of, well, if that's a problem, how does that categorise? And I started to chunk upwards instead. Yeah. And then I came up with the strategy, the second part of my strategy, um, which is about understanding those inner and outer changes. Mm. If you've only got five, you look at which of them, you know, it gives you a good solid starting point rather than trying to feel overwhelmed again with, oh, what changed? Like, is it your health? Is it emotions? Is it logic? Is it something physical? Is it something social? So it's just like breaking it down gives them a really good solid starting point. And then learning to use those with then there's another five, which are the root causes. So that's the strategy is a color diagram with five changes and five root causes. And once you get that strategy, it's like that's a strategy for life. To help work through anything yeah um but yeah coming back to my grandson being in the car the other week um so what i'd recognized is the human emotional cycle is what i've now created the diagram for 
I haven't created the emotional cycle that was there. What I've done mm. is learned to put it in a diagrammatic form and mm. um, that encompasses everything. And then realize that's what hasn't been done before. The way I've done yes. it is it's never been done before to teach emotions with a diagram in, in that sense. And anyway, so like I said, it's not something that I've created, it's there. And this was what was so fascinating is I've not talked to my grandson about it before. I talked to my daughter about it, but my grandson the other day was in the car with me and I asked him about his feelings. And so I said to him about happy. So I said, if happy was a color, what color would you call it? And he said, yellow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I said, so if angry was a color, what color would you call that? And he said, red. <laughs> yes, I think, I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. And I mm. said, what about blue? I said, if you were sad, what color would you give that? And he said, that would be blue. So, mm. And I said, has anybody told you that? And he went, no, my brain just worked it out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's how natural this is. Yeah. Right? That if a six-year-old can associate those three colours with those three emotions, at six years old, I wouldn't ask him to understand depressed because he, would, he wouldn't be there. Although I know he's had his moments because of his own health issues. Um, but to him, those are the three that matter at most at his age. Mm. But to be able to just identify those colours, just like that off the back of a conversation, um, I was like, yeah, I now need to start looking at ways to develop this to teach people younger than teenagers as well. But it was, it was just, you know, if a, if a six-year-old can start to identify this mm. um, and use it and hopefully use it going forward, I was like just astounded that I didn't have to actually tell him the colours. Yeah, it's great. It's got so much potential, This because yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't think... Um, you know, I work in schools sometimes. I don't. I don't think this is identified in schools. You know, it's about. Yeah. It's. I think a lot of schools is it's still very much about conforming to something. Mm. Um, and you know, I. I think it's you know look looking at so if somebody's not engaging with something, there are, there are obviously some reason for that. There's probably because it's a, yeah. some underlying emotion that's going on. Yeah, guaranteed pretty much, yeah. Yeah. yeah unless, it's, unless it's something neurological or, or, you know, like brain chemistry or tiredness, like a health mm -hmm. issue or something like tiredness, then, yeah, chances are it's emotional. <clears throat> but, yeah, it was um, it was just really interesting to, to have him have that conversation with me. Um, I wasn't going to say something else, and I've lost it. I've just suddenly lost my train of thought. Oh, it'll come back, don't worry. While it comes back, what... What's the best way to get for anyone that's listening that wants to get hold of your book, which I can recommend. I've actually read it myself. I've got, you know, I've got a copy I've read and um, I really sort of opened my eyes. And, and it's all so simple as well, um, really. It's not, it's not complicated, is it, to understand other, other people's no. emotions. Once we can, mm. And that will also help, help other people to understand their own emotions, which... You know, well, we, we, don't, we don't understand our own emotions, do we? So no, what's, the that's the thing, yeah. what's the best way to get a hold of your book, Kay? Yeah, certainly it's on Amazon. It's called Brain Unchained. And uh, yeah, Brain Unchained. My name is Kay Reeve and it is on Amazon. Or the other way is if you want to look up more about it first is because uh, it's available worldwide on Amazon. So there's links to all of the different copies because mm -hmm. it's in black and white color and Kindle. And that's all linked on my website, which is www.kreve, which is K-A-Y-R-E-E-V-E.co.uk. 
So there's lots yeah. more info, some videos on there, and the links to all of the copies worldwide. But yes, you're saying about schools is interesting because um, if if we can go for weeks without food, days without water, and minutes without air, mm. but every single action, reaction, and interaction we have every single day is based on an emotion. So in other words, we 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 can hold our breath longer than we can go without an emotion, even if you yes. don't realise it, and people are not always aware of it. Why do they not teach emotional awareness in schools? Well, yes, and emotional intelligence and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. And the answer, the answer is, how can they teach something they can't see? Yeah. Now, we teach time in schools, and you can't see time, but they teach that. Well, you can see it on the clock, I suppose. You can see it on the clock, yes. And the same with like distances and weights. They're on measures and scales. Mm. And there are other things which are like hypothetical and they're real but they're hypothetical or, or invisible but they teach them because there are ways to measure and draw them you know and diagram them or whatever but with emotions it's always been this like big hypothetical world of things that nobody really knows how to teach in terms of teaching to teenagers to manage their own emotions there are lots of quotes they um say prayers in school sing hymns they um, read books they have conversations but it's all a bit ominous when it comes to actually understanding emotions it's like there's all this stuff thrown at them and they're expected to just understand it yeah but they don't it sometimes seems a bit vague the lessons are there and then looking back we all look back and think yeah I suppose really I should have understood that but we don't I don't remember yeah, I don't remember emotions being taught when I was at school that was a very long time ago in the yeah. 19- I don't think um, people even understood. I, I mean, in the 1960s and early 70s, when I went to school, yeah. I don't think this kind of stuff was understood at all. You know, it's just no. But you were expected to learn a man- how to manage your own emotions. Yes, just, you are. Just yeah. from the everyday lessons of, like, like compassion for not bumping into other people was like always walk on the left. You know, <laughs> so yeah. it's like conformity. So it tended to be through conformity rather than mm. understanding. And being kind to others and like they said there would be um, hymns and prayers would be all about these songs and you know like religions taught in schools and then there would be exercise and PE which is meant to get rid of all your excess energy and they knew yeah. that we needed to do exercise and PE not just physically healthy but now we understand it's about mentally healthy as well yes but mm. at the time we didn't like you said in, in days when we were at school it was just all you know, we were expected to autonomously learn how to under, understand our own emotions. It wasn't yeah. an actual given topic. No. And so I'd love to see this in the future mm. being a curriculum topic or something that children can pick up from an earlier age because we, we see it that we grow older and wiser. Yes. But as we learn these things, we feel wiser. Absolutely. So why could we not start teaching them to be wiser before growing older? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that would make more sense. Yes, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? That we, um, you know, which I mean, I think you know, young people spending time with older people is also a very good way of you know getting getting wisdom um, and finding out how you know how older people uh, yeah. control their or you know, control or understood their emotions and things like that. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time with my dad. In, in later, you know, in his very later life, okay. and le- and learned from him about you know, his and he. I mean, they didn't. 
going back to when he was a young man and if, if you know in the early um 30s and 40s 1930s and 40s they didn't understand this sort of stuff at all no no I, um, it's, it's like all the movies you watch and there's like some wise elder gives some punchline at the beginning and they've got to work out what it is and that seems to be how life is for most teenagers like these adults and like parents and grandparents throw quotes at them and then eventually 30 years down the line they go now I get what it means but why should we have to wait 30 years to work it out when we could give them a strategy for understanding those emotions from earlier on yeah actually the book the book itself is filled with quotes Mm. um and where I've broken the book down into categories of the emotions then into the types of change and the types of root causes Mm. I've put quotes in every section because it helps them to understand that actually when people throw quotes at them there is an emotional meaning behind them there is a lesson to learn mm. and i've set every one in a way that it fits with the lesson teaching within the book at that point um so everyone's relevant to the sub the topic it's it's tucked into yes indeed and i i thought that was really important to realize that yeah people do throw quotes at us but they're not just saying it for the sake of it. They just don't know how else to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So instead of taking 20, 30 years to work it out, yeah. here's a book that helps you understand them a lot sooner. Like there's light at the end of the tunnel. We tell kids and teenagers, oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But what does that mean? <laughs> well, yeah, I still use that. To, I still use that yeah. quote to myself all the time because, yeah. you know, especially during lockdown, it's been a very, it's been a very apt quote because you know i kept absolutely yeah. i kept seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and then the light at the end of the tunnel would disappear again because we'd gone back into lockdown again and things were and yeah. um, now you know there is actually quite a strong light at the end of the tunnel and in fact most a lot a lot of people in fact i just got have just gone back to how they were i mean watching watching sport on the television you know all the all the football games are full of sixty thousand people again and i'm thinking oh I'm feeling so. I'm feeling. I'm not. I'm not ready for that. Not, I'm not that I go to football matches, but I did. I, I I do go to cricket matches, but I'm I'm not ready to go and sit at the Lords for twenty thousand people watching a game of cricket yet. No, no, because I get of how that. I feel. Yeah. Because of how I feel about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 with that. I've got a network. I'm supposed to be going back to in a couple of weeks, and uh, actually, I think it's next week. And uh, it's like a room full of twenty odd people. Mm. We're all supposed to be sitting apart, and it, it you know. It's worrying as it is, because when one person in that room has already said, "Oh, I, I went to some festival and I sat in with sixty thousand people and I'm all right," and I'm thinking, yeah, "How many of the others have been places where there's big crowds and then they just come and sit in a room with twenty people and pass it around?" But yeah, I know. Um, yeah. And they're like, "Yeah, you might be all right, but you might still pass it on." You know, so mm. there are people who are younger and fitter and healthier who are quite blasé about it, but they don't consider other people's emotions in the process. They're just like. I'm all right, Jack. You know, and he's. Oh yeah, well, I think it, it's yeah, a bit it, worrying for other for other people. I think that is uh, that is almost a predominant uh, feeling these days. Is I mean, not with everybody, but it's a it's a very very um, popular feeling. Is the I'm all right, Jack. You know, yeah, and that is actually important. positive thinking, but for themselves without compassion for other people. Yeah, exactly. I think I. I yeah. probably err, err, err too much on the side of. Um, I probably err a bit too much on the side of uh, 
compassion sometimes, but I don't think that's that's just who I, I am. Think that's a bad thing, yeah. That's not a no, bad thing. I don't think it's a bad <laughs> and, thing. And I get it. I get it that, you know, they want to feel positive and that's their way of saying, yeah, I don't want to be sitting here moping and, like you said, stuck in that tunnel. But uh, to me, there is, there's a reason for understanding what's on here is if you're stuck somewhere and you want to get to that light at the end of the tunnel and you don't think about the consequences in between, mm. um, instead of making yourself sad or angry, you pass that off onto other people if you ignore it and other people get sad and angry. Um, yes, oh, absolutely. You, you've got to be able to make that journey to that happy place, but also consider the emotions of other people coming along with you. Yeah. And that's to say, okay, be happy. Yeah, they're like, yeah, how I went along, I'm happy. But consider other people. So it might be things like saying, okay, yeah, I, you know, I have been around a load of people and I still want to come to the meeting, but I'll make sure I don't come and hug you. I'll keep the distance, you know, I'll, you know, and you get people come in and say things like, yeah, and I'm a hugger. It's another one. Other people come and say, yeah, I can't wait to get back to meetings. I'm a hugger. And I'm like, whoa, you know, I've got, <laughs> I've got relatives yeah. who are still unvaccinated. Um, one who's pregnant due for a baby. Mm. And so she hasn't had the vaccine while waiting for the baby. And so the last thing I want to do is start going back to meetings and taking something back to her with the baby on the way. Um, I've got, let's say my grandson's got health problems and his immune system is shot, bless him. Mm. So the uh, last thing I want to do is take anything back to my grandson who's ill anyway. Well, he's not ill, well, he is a type 1 diabetes. So um, it's sort of lifelong. <laughs> so it's, yes. it's not even it's not even like low risk it's high risk for him to catch anything mm. so uh you know for me it's they're like a, oh you've got to think positive and I, yeah i am thinking positive about keeping my family safe you know <laughs> and so it's about understanding each other's emotions and, and and until people start to understand their own emotions in the, it fully how can you understand somebody else's like you said a bit I, earlier yeah. about compassion how Absolutely. can you understand somebody else if you don't understand yourself? And I think that I think that is, yeah, that is something that uh, is really key, and probably it's probably a good place to actually stop because that is what I would like people to take away is that you know as the if there's one thing you take away from listening to this podcast interview with Kay Reeve, think about you know try and understand yourself before you understand other people. Um, and many people don't do that. I mean, you know, I, I think I probably understand myself now better than I ever have, although I'm still unraveling things. And you know, but uh, I don't think because you never actually get there, do you? But it's a lifelong process. Lifelong mm, process. Absolutely. There's I think so much more to it. Yeah. The older I get, as a a great uh, old friend of mine called Bob Ferguson, who I used to know very well in Toastmasters. Um, which is you know something we have in common, having both mm. been members of Toastmasters. Um, Bob always used to say, you know, the, the the older he got, the more he realised that he still had to learn. And I I know that when I was yeah. young, you know, I was you know younger when I was probably in my I don't know thirties or something like that. I thought I knew everything that I needed to know, you mm. know, to get through life. And then as I approached my forties, and since then. I've, I've just realised that I'm still learning. And it, actually, if you stop learning, that's when you stop growing. Yeah, absolutely. And if you stop growing, you start dying. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> yeah, not ready for that one. <laughs> no, somebody once said that to me, actually. Some, I heard somebody speak once. I can't remember who it was. And they said, there's only two states for the human being to be in. You're either growing or you're dying. And I'm not... And, you know, I'm not ready to 
start the dining process yet so i'm going to continue with the learning process and you know what that is actually because of the emotional cycle we are driven to find happiness and when yes. you've found happiness the emotional cycle will not leave you stuck there nobody gets stuck in happiness the minute they reach it you no. then think right what's next and you set the new next challenge right anybody who actually achieves a goal then says right what's next and you go through oh, yeah. over and over and over. So if you are not reaching towards your next goal, you will be stuck somewhere. Oh, be sad, yeah. angry, depressed, but you will be stuck somewhere other than happy. But you don't get stuck in happiness. So it's, um, yes. it's natural for people to want to progress and grow. And that's what the emotional cycle forces us to do. To make it constructive learning and growing yeah. always. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Just... Uh... Something that popped into my mind as things do all the time. And I was reading um, two or three years ago about Bradley Wiggins, who was the great uh, cyclist, the great you know, the Olympic cyclist. And um, I think his achievements have just been surpassed in the recent Olympics. But, but um, you know, people said to him, what do you do when you're not actually training or you're not, um, you know, if you, haven't, if you haven't got a goal of the next Tour de France or the next mm. Olympics or whatever it might be, he said, I sit at home and drink wine. Yeah, yeah. He had to have that. He, he said, I get on my wife's nerves, I sit at home and drink wine because he didn't have the next goal to go for. He, yeah. you know, so people that, struggle in that, in, in that kind of environment mm -hmm. because they, they are constantly striving, they achieve something, then they have to find the next thing to go on and do. And that's what, that's what we really all need to do. And the emotional cycle needs that goal. And when it can't reach it, that wine becomes the shortcut to happiness. Oh, absolutely. And that's, yeah. that's where we build addictions from. So, yeah, if you're not absolutely. setting these goals. Yeah, so, quite right. yeah, so a good lesson for anybody doing sports and Olympic things or anything with, with sports well, goals. Yeah. In between, you need a second hobby and a second set of challenges. Well, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. I, I realise that. That's what gets me. That's what, as soon as I finish recording this interview, I'm going to... Um, Go out for a walk. Oh, jolly and good. And get yeah. some, and that's my happy place. Yes. Yeah. Oh, lovely. One of them. That's one of my happy places. You know, I have, mm. I have a few things that I do to keep my emotional um, self stable. Um, yeah. Walking, listening to music, uh, watching, uh, listening. You know, all, there's about three or four things. Spending time with my partner. Um, yeah listening to live music and all, all these things are things that, that keep you emotionally stable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Time with time with mindful, natural things to do, um, which also put you in a peaceful state of mind as well. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. you've got to have you've got to have motivation, which is like action but on the positive side, mm. whereas negative is aggression and anger. But action with positivity is motivation, which is fighting or doing things you like, not things you don't like. And then instead of sadness if you take the thoughtful side instead of being thinking of things that's sad think positive things positive thoughts of it's like like having time to reflect and we need that and again we need to go through that emotional cycle and you need to use a bit of a little bit of the top end of the red and the blue and um, along with the yeah. yellow bit of time to reflect on your inner self mm -hmm. time to have a purpose for the outside world this is this really happy cycle that fits amongst the emotional cycle but you move that down and if you work in between the red the blue and the black and then looking at external internal change in the lower half of that cycle it's like putting a halo around the top of the emotional cycle but you put that down the bottom half and you'll see it's a different different picture altogether 
Yeah, absolutely. I don't well, know if that will make sense coming across on the on the audio, but, it's, mm. uh, but yeah. Okay, thank you so much for sharing your feelings and thoughts with us today. Um, it's been absolutely great talking to you. Um, you mentioned how to contact you earlier on, and your book is yes. absolutely brilliant. I can recommend it for anyone who's interested in managing their own emotions or uh, their, their particularly young people's emotions. So um, for the moment, Kay Reeve, thank you very much for being such a great guest on the, on the Heart Shaped Decisions podcast. Thank you, Graham.